Welcome to Short Course, Episode 7, for March 15th, 2018. My name is Ben Barry. I am, as you can probably hear, just getting over a cold, and so my audio this week is going to be pretty terrible. So I dug into the draft episodes that I've done and found something that wasn't primetime material, but I was able to splice it together, cut in all the interesting bits, trim out the fat. Originally, the episode was 35 minutes long, again, part of the development process of, of the podcast, and make something that, that I think will be a, an interesting surrogate uh, episode for, for this week, while I am otherwise uh, voice disabled. So, enjoy. Welcome to Short Course. My name is Ben Barry. I figured a good topic would be my recent experience going to the 2017 Ironsight Nationals in St. George, Utah. Nationals was a big experience. I learned a lot. It was my first time going as a competitor. My history with St. George is that in 2014, when I was a lowly B-class shooter, I went to St. George as a part of the staff for the match. That year, they were offering a staff package that covered your airfare, covered your hotel. Uh, the airfare was a reimbursement, but it was enough to buy a round-trip ticket to St. George, or to Vegas. They just straight up picked up the tab for the hotel. I ended up splitting a rental car, and so that that didn't that, that stayed within the travel allowance. And so the, the, the idea that I could basically fly to Nationals, get to shoot it, then get to work it, all for free, yeah, I mean... At the time, I was 20, 25. It was like, yeah, let's do that. That's a great opportunity. I was single. I had a job that let me take enough PTO to spend a week out in the desert. And so I, I did it. And, fr you know, frankly, it was a great experience. It I learned... I didn't learn that much about shooting. Uh, I, you know, we shot... As a staff, we shot the day, the match, which was 28 stages... We shot the match over three days, and then the, the general public shot the match over four days. So we had a somewhat aggressive schedule, but it was only eight stages per day. And the local club match near me that I was shooting at the time was already six, seven. Maybe it had gotten up to eight back then. So the the days on the range were nothing, nothing worse than what I was used to. It was just three of them in a row shooting. I, I didn't really have a very impressive showing. I, I wasn't particularly prepared. I actually ended up switching guns right before I flew out there uh, because the the MMP Pro that I'd been shooting just wasn't shooting reliably for me. I, I couldn't get it to work, and so I ended up going back to the Glock 17 that I used to shoot, and I was able to borrow a spare one of those. So I at least had you know a backup gun. I was able to fly out there and shoot, but. I, I just, I wasn't really ready. I wasn't really confident. I, I hadn't really been training in any meaningful sense. I didn't train live fire at the time. I dry fired just somewhat regularly, but it, the shooting part wasn't really that interesting. I didn't shoot that well. And as soon as the shooting was done, we flipped over the very next day to working almost literally sun up to sundown for the the paying shooters as the staff to match, which was a great experience. I got to run the timer, you know, for some of the best shooters in the country, which at the time scared the crap out of me. I couldn't imagine that they were going to hand this guy who'd just gotten his RO cert a couple months earlier the timer at Nationals, but they did. And I learned a lot from it. I learned a lot about running matches. I learned a lot about sort of seeing how the matches fit together and, and the, the organizational piece of it. So, so that was very helpful. 
But the the other impression that it left me with was just that St. George is a really nice place to shoot. It's beautiful. It's the, the, the scenery around there is nice. It's dry. It means that, you know, if you do sweat, it evaporates. It's not like North Carolina where it gets humid and then you're just sweaty all day and you just, you're just sticky and you just get used to it and then you go home and shower. It's not like that. You know, when you get in the shade in St. George in the desert, I imagine it's the same way in Vegas, down in Arizona, anywhere in the, the, the Southwest, when you get in the shade, you dry off. It evaporates. You wear technical clothing. Your sweat evaporates. It's awesome. I liked it. And so when I had the opportunity this year, you know, when they said that's where Nationals is going to be, I had been telling my wife about this match, my now wife. We got married last year in September. And I'd been telling her about this place. And she's like, well, we got to go. Like, you got to go. You made GM this year. You got to go shoot Nationals. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And so we signed up, we booked the, the plane tickets, and, uh, and, and there we went. And the problem is, I had flown to St. George three years ago, and this is sort of what I wanted to talk about today, the, the, the process of flying to matches, which I've now done exactly twice. Both times it's been to St. George, both times I've taken two guns. The thing that was different this time is because my wife was coming with me, but she wasn't shooting the match we could each take 300 rounds of ammo and still be under the 11-pound airline limit, which I know I've been told the airlines don't regularly enforce that, but I don't want to be that one guy. I don't want to be... I I know of another shooter from North Carolina who said that he brought 800 rounds in his check bags, which was plenty, you know, so this match required a minimum of 417 rounds, so 800 was plenty. But if he'd gotten caught he'd have 300 left if they even let him fly with 11 pounds after trying to bring 25 on. And so I just, in retrospect, the idea of, of trying to, to take ammo with you on the plane, just, I, I wouldn't do it again. You know, the way that we ended up doing it, my wife took half, I took half, and I had 600 rounds total, but it just didn't, it, it was it was closer than I would have liked. You know, we ended up taking uh, 25 rounds of carry ammo for the carry gun because if I'm going to have guns, I want to have one to protect myself with. My match guns aren't great carry guns, so I ended up taking a third gun, uh, my MEP compact that I concealed carry, and two magazines worth of ammo for it. And then I also took 11 rounds, 10 dummy rounds and a snap cap so that I could do a little bit of hotel room dry fire, have one realistic weight mag because... It it makes a difference. When you're doing the reload, an empty magazine versus a full one, it feels way different. So I, I I needed those 36 rounds, you know, out of my 600 allotment that I could fit in the bags and, and make weight with. I needed those 36, and so that only left me with 564 rounds, which the other sort of complication about flying with the guns is the last time I flew with guns, it was with fixed sight Glocks. They, they, they weren't adjustable. And to be completely honest, I wasn't a very good shooter back then. I wasn't nearly as accurate as I am now. Part of that's just because I didn't have a good place to go in live fire practice. And so I never really had the chance to really definitively figure out like, okay, where is this gun zeroed at? Where do I like it zeroed at when I change my overall length, bullet weight, powder charge, all that? Like, where does the, where does the round go? Do I need to adjust it? And, and so at the time... Sights were sights. I just throw them in the box. They'll be fine. They didn't get jostled left or right. They're still centered in the slide. The Glock front sight can't go anywhere. Cool. Let's shoot. 
But with a pair of Tamfolio stock twos, it's a, it's a different matter. The the sights, especially the way I ended up wedging them in the box, you know, the rear sights were compressed a little bit, so the the set screw or the the adjustment screw could sort of work left and right. Normally, it's held in by spring tension because the the sight is all the way you know flexed at extension, but inside the the, the container for for being taken on the airplane, they some of that stress was taken off, so they they could have moved. So that put me in a position where I was already, you know, I didn't have a huge cushion of ammo, and then I had to re-zero my guns once I got to St. George. And it just, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I would not do that again. I, I think I got a little complacent about it because I was able to fly three years ago and it didn't seem like that big of a deal, but I would not do that again. You know, if I fly to a match again, I, I'll just ship the ammo because it's not, it's not worth it. I, part of it was... I, I kind of felt like I was clever, like I was getting away with something, like somehow it was special to be able to not have to ship ammo. And it just, it, it didn't, it didn't help me and it definitely hurt me. I, I don't, I don't really, I wasn't thinking about it during the match per se, but I was definitely making sure to track how many rounds I was going through. You know, I wanted to make sure I had enough if I had to reshoot some stages or if Chrono needed to shoot extra ammo. You know, I was, I was tracking these things because I really didn't want to get down to the last stage and not have enough ammo. And so it, it just, it, it wasn't worth it. I mean, you know, I don't know what super squad dudes do. I don't know if they ship ammo or if they buy ammo online and have it shipped to the range or, or what, but I, I just, I can't, unless somebody makes a compelling case for something else, I just can't, I can't see doing anything else in the future. So, you know, in the future, ship the ammo to the range and pack the guns better. You know, I, I really underestimated because I'm just used to even, even when I drove to Ipsic Nationals down in Florida earlier this year, my guns never left their padded cases that, that they live in in the range bag that I used to take them to the safe area to, to gun up at the beginning of the match. And so the idea of, you know, okay, adjustable sights can get bumped around. And a small bump plus, I mean, the first stage that I shot at Nationals had a headshot that was at least 15 yards away, probably more like 20. And... A small bump plus a little bit of laxness on the trigger could easily translate into a miss. As it happens, I had a miss on that target uh, on my first stage. It wasn't because of the sights. I did end up going, re-zeroing the sights. I actually, in retrospect, it was kind of amazing. I was able to re-zero both guns with uh, only 21 rounds. I they, they, they hadn't wandered very far, and so everything everything was good to go. But that put a small dent in my already un- somewhat under underfunded ammo budget. In retrospect, flying to matches in the future, my lesson is pack the guns better, especially if they have adjustable sights, and just ship your dang ammo. It's it's not worth trying to sneak it through security because if you do get caught, the the let's put it this way: the downside is a small chance, but a very high magnitude. You know, if somebody does decide to weigh your ammo, you're boned. And the upside is very minimal, and and the the cost of shipping the ammo is fixed. It's not much. It's fixed compared to the price of rental car, hotel, plane ticket, match fee. You know, it's it's a tiny expenditure. So I'll, I'll just ship my ammo in the future. So that's the topic for this episode. I also wanted to cover something that I've been talking about recently with other shooters that will be on the topic of level two matches, what they're for, and, you know, why, why I want to go to them and, and why they're interesting to me sort of the discussion I've been having with with people online that I thought was interesting to share my view on is 
level two matches and what their purpose is. And, you know, why, why do we have level two matches and, and what should you as a shooter look for in one? So, or at least what do I look for in one? For me, a level two is all about bringing competition together. It's about bringing people from further away because let's be honest, nobody wants to drive that far for a club match. Nobody's going to get a hotel room for a club match. Nobody's going to put in all the effort to build super duper elaborate stages and debug them thoroughly. Like you'll have, you'll have things go wrong at a club match and it's just like, well, you know, yeah, we didn't see that when we set up the stage. Oh, well, like, yeah, I guess you can shoot that target from there, whatever. Hopefully a level two won't do that. Hopefully a level two, they'll, they'll go through the stages with a fine tooth comb. Obviously they, they have to be approved by the NROI. They have to be given the thumbs up, but once the stages are actually built, hopefully they're also more thoroughly constructed and debugged. And that gives you a, a better experience as a shooter, which to me is worth money. And then just the fact that the, the bar to entry is higher and the fact that it's, it is, it's almost a self-sustaining reaction. People come from further around because people come from further around. And that's interesting to someone like me where like there's, you know, in production in central North Carolina, there's a handful of dudes that can give me a run for my money. And when they show up to club matches, cool, awesome. Like I love having people to race against, but when more people come from further around, when people come from Georgia, when people come down from Virginia when people drive over from Tennessee to come shoot our state match, and, and bring a higher level of competition, that's cool to me. That's valuable because I want to, what's interesting to me is making sure that my practice is working. So I want to test myself. I want to test is, is what I'm practicing working? Is my methodology for approaching stages working? Because there will be times where you can, you can kind of make some mistakes on a stage. And if it's a local club match and nobody, nobody else really showed up. You can still win the stage or do well. And, and it, you know, you know that you did poorly, but you can't really measure that. You, you don't have a good meter stick. And so for me, like big matches are a chance to measure myself against better shooters and see where I'm deficient. And so that's, that's what I'm looking for is quality of stages, quality of competition, quality of administration. I, I, to me, it's really good when I don't have to paced. I don't have to, you know, ask a lot of questions about the stages. They're well constructed. They're clearly set up. We're, we're not, you know, we're not getting backed up on stages. We're not sitting around for a while waiting for uh, a popper to be reset or something like that. So that's, that to me is a level two match. Now, what it isn't necessarily is like an opportunity to get classified. There was a, a discussion recently about, you know, should a level two match have a classifier in it or, should it, you know, is it part of, should, should they be classifiers through having enough competition? Because there is a rule or a, a policy, really. It's not a rule in the rule book, but it's something that USPSA headquarters does where if there are, I think the, the policy is three GMs and 50 shooters and the GMs finish relatively competitively, then they will take your percentage finish in that match and apply it to your classifier record as a single classifier. And I think that's cool. I think that's fine. But I don't think that's the goal of a level two. I think you can you can have a level two even if like no GMs show up because it's still an opportunity for all the A's and B's and C's and M's in that division to come out, 
lay everything on the line, have a deeper talent pool than they might shoot against. You know, it might be that you and one other guy are the, the, the two limited Bs at your local club and you go back and forth trading match wins month after month. Like, that's not that interesting. But if you can go to the state match and there's six, eight, ten limited Bs, then, you know, maybe that's maybe that's more interesting to you. So you can you can still have a valid level two because the goal is to bring competition from further around to be able to sort of measure yourself on a fair playing field and honestly to be able to shoot at your at, at your hundred percent because let's be honest if you're in the sport for very long if you become knowledgeable about the sport you will start being asked to run the timer to run the tablet to you know help administrate the matches or, or just keep them running and it's nice to not have to do that at a level two. It's nice to be able to pay a little bit more money and have staff that will do that and leave you free to sort of spend 100% of your mental focus on making sure that you're ready for the stage. If you got to you know, fix something with your gun, you're not worried about being late for the next stage as much and, and just be able to, to 100% focus on being a shooter. That wraps up this episode of Short Course. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Facebook at Ben Barry Shooting and Instagram at BS Barry. I post my match videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash USPSA. My blog is at barryshooting.com. If you'd like to get an email when I put up a new blog post, you can join the mailing list. If you want to be the first to know when I open registration for a new class, check the classes box when you sign up for the mailing list. If you have a question or you just want to tell me something, you can email me at podcast at barryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.